Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best movie league show on the planet, the John Campus Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good things. Now, it, uh, it is normally a day here that Robert Meyer Burnett would be joining us. However, uh, Robert had some things come up earlier today, so he's unavailable to be with us here. But don't worry, he'll be back again tomorrow. Keep your eyes open for that. But in the meantime, you and I have got a lot of stuff to talk about here today. And that's exactly what we are going to do. Now, here's how today's show is going to go, guys. We break the show up into two parts. In the first half of the show, we're going to talk about some prearranged topics. And in the second half of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. How do you get in a live comment or question to be read on the show or in an upcoming companion video? It's simple. Simply go down into the description of this video and you will see a tip link. Click on that there or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip you'll begin your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show and of course you'll be supporting the channel at the same time and all of us involved here at the john campus show thank you guys very very much for your support okay guys there are a number of things for us to discuss here today but a little bit of house cleaning so today of course uh as you know is game day loki comes on tonight at least for those of us on the west coast it comes out tonight at midnight so since i have not actually seen loki episode three yet that means we get to do a loki pregame show so yes tonight at 4 p.m los angeles time whatever time that is where you guys are right now it's 10 a.m la time so in six hours we are going to be doing our Loki pregame show. So after this show is done, you'll probably be able to find the live event that will get posted for the Loki pregame show. Uh, it's going to be our first pregame show for Loki. I'm very excited. We didn't do pregame shows for the other Loki episodes because I had already seen the episodes in advance. And so, you know, there's no point in me trying to speculate with everybody about what's going to happen. But I have not seen episode three. I have not seen episode three. So I'm uh, I'm very excited for it. this is going to be the first time in weeks I'm being I'm going to be able to see a brand new episode of Loki. So we're going to do a pregame show. Hope you guys come and join us for that of course. All right. With that down guys, let's get into a couple of off the tops and the first one we're going to talk about is this. You know, Disney has a little bit of a mixed track record when it comes to their live-action adaptations of their animated classics. For example, uh, Maleficent, Maleficent 2, while Angelina Jolie was obviously great in both of those, the stories were not so good, didn't turn out so well. Uh, on the other hand, you've had things like the recent Cruella was, was good. The recent Aladdin was fantastic. But my favorite one that they've done is actually Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella with um, Lily James. I, I That's my favorite live-action adaptation of theirs so far. So, again, they're a little hit and miss. Uh, overall, I think they've got a winning record, but a little hit and miss. Well, one of the ones they're going to be doing next is Snow White. And one of the big questions was going to be, who's going to play Snow White? We already know Mark Webb from 500 Days of Summer and The Amazing Spider-Man is going to be directing it, so I like him very much, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. But who's going to play that lead role of Cinderella? Well, as of this morning, we now know. It's going to be Rachel Zegler, 
is going to be playing Cinderella or Snow White, I should say. I might, I might accidentally say Cinderella five or six times, but Snow White, she's going to be playing Snow White. Now, if you don't know the name Rachel Zegler, don't feel bad. She's pretty much an unknown at this point, but not for long. You see, she's one of the stars of the upcoming uh, Steven Spielberg film, West Side Story. And by the way, Kung Fu Hot Dog sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kung Fu. Appreciate that. So she's got one of the lead. She's got one of the lead roles in the upcoming West Side Story. Uh, and Disney have seen the dailies of that, and they were completely blown away by her screen presence and the most importantly, the power of her singing voice. And so they decided this is our girl. This is going to be our Snow White. So this comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who writes, although her upcoming breakout role as Maria and Steven Spielberg's new retelling of West Side Story doesn't bow till this winter, Rachel Zegler looks to have already found her next big role. Sources tell Deadline that Zegler is set to star in Snow White in Disney's live action adaptation. Uh, in Disney's live ad- ad- adaptation, Cinderella. I don't know why they put that there. The film was just started. Uh, the film... Uh, that started it all in the studio's legendary slate of animated features. Mark Webb will direct with Mark Platt producing. Production is expected to start in 2022. So they're not even going to start production on this thing until 2022. And look, it's very, very difficult to have any kind of real take or thought or theory about is Rachel the right person to play Snow White? Because I've never really seen her in anything. I mean, I think most of us probably haven't, but I do know this. I trust Steven Spielberg. And while Steven Spielberg doesn't have anything to do with Snow White, he did cast her to play Maria in West Side Story. And if Steven Spielberg says this girl has got it to be a lead in one of his films, and then if Disney is looking at the dailies and saying, oh my God, this girl can belt because singing is going to be a key part of this. I mean, look. Obviously, you got to be able to act. You got to be able to carry the acting chops. But when you're doing a live action remake, particularly of a music heavy Disney property, you got to make sure you get somebody who can belt because you know who's a fantastic actress? Emma Watson. Emma Watson is a fantastic actress and she can sing. Emma Watson can sing. But when you put her in Beauty and the Beast and you get her to try to sing some very demanding songs and you surround her with other people who really can belt and sing themselves, then any deficiencies in your singing are going to shine like a spotlight in the night. And again, while Emma Watson is a very good singer, it she clearly was not up to playing Belle. So if you're going to do Snow White, If you're going to do Snow White, you got to make sure that you do not repeat the same problem that you had with Beauty and the Beast. And by the way, I think Beauty and the Beast was pretty good. I mean, it it didn't hold a candle, no pun intended. It didn't hold a candle to the original animated Beauty and the Beast, not by a mile. But I didn't think it was all that bad. But And I love Emma Watson, but she was not the right person to cast in that role. And it all came down to her ability to belt her ability to really sing and sing those extremely power-hungry songs that are in there. If you're Disney, you cannot make that same mistake. 
And that's why, like, when you get into Aladdin, oh, my God, they needed someone to play Jasmine. They went and they got a girl who could do both. They got a girl who could act, and they got a girl who could belt. And it really stood out. And if Steven Spielberg says this girl is good enough to play Maria in a side story, and Disney's impressed with her enough to make her Snow White in theirs, even though I have never personally seen her work, for me, it's like, okay, all right, I'm down with it. I'm down with it. I can dig it. So I'll give it the benefit of the doubt for now until we see something that suggests otherwise. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about them going out and casting Rachel to play Snow White in the live action adaptation? Going to start shooting not until 2022. So I'm guessing that means that the earliest is going to come out in 2023. But still, what are your guys' thoughts? Jump down into the comments section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you think we should have as a main topic here on the John Campia Show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Alan Renshaw. And Alan Renshaw writes, I just saw some leaked Shazam 2 set photos of Dame Helen Mirren, who is awesome. I think she looks great, and this ups my anticipation. Have you seen the photos, and what do you think? All right, Alan, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. Appreciate that. And by the way, Rampage Predacon sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. So we've been talking a little bit about Shazam 2 lately, like Shazam 2, Fury of the Gods. And... Of course, we got our first kind of look a couple of weeks back at the new costume that uh, Zach was going to be wearing as Shazam. And we all thought pretty much universally that the new outfit looked like a big step up. And then, of course, yesterday, the director, to try to get ahead of leaked photos, the director put out an official image of the whole Shazam family in their new costumes. And it seems pretty much like everybody liked it. It's, I mean, I didn't see any complaints about it. At the very minimum... People seem to agree that the new costumes, even if they're not fantastic, and I think they are, but even if they're not fantastic, people seem to agree they're a big step up from the previous ones. Because while Zach's Shazam costume on the big screen didn't look as bad as it did in promos, it still looked like it was padded. And by padded, I don't just mean bulked up. I mean, it looks like somebody put some soft, fluffy pillows under the fabric of the costume. This one at least looks more natural. It at least looks more natural. So, I mean, it's all about appearance, and it looked really good. Well, now, on the heels of all that, we've got new images coming out. This time it's not just of Zach, but it's got Helen Mirren. Now, of course, we've known for a while that Helen Mirren, along with Lucy Liu, are going to play two sisters that are going to be the antagonists and the villains of this film. And Helen Mirren is playing Hespera. Lucy Liu is playing her sister Calypso. We know that. And we've gotten our first look at Helen Mirren. Now, this comes to us from the folks over at Just Jarred, who writes, the Oscar-winning actress is joining the cast of the Shazam franchise for the upcoming sequel, and she was spotted on set Monday, June 21st, in Atlanta, Georgia, 
Helen is playing the villainous Hespera, who is a daughter of Atlas, one of the gods, of course, in Shazam's namesake. Lucy Liu is playing her sister Calypso. And yeah, so we get our first kind of peek at this. And I'll tell you what, Helen Mirren is a boss. I mean, even if she's in a terrible movie like Fast 9. Fast 9's awful. It's so bad, I have to go watch it again. It's so terrible, I have to watch it again. But anyway, you can even put Helen Mirren in that. And Helen Mirren is an absolute boss. So she's basically playing a god. And they've made her up. And man, she looks mean. And I love the one shot there on the left. It's like you've got this god sitting there talking with Shazam and they're sitting over having lunch with burgers and fries or something like that. And it got, the one on the right is interesting because it's almost like it, it kind of has the appearance a little bit of like military inspection. You know what I mean? Like when the soldiers stand there and, and the sergeant comes walking down to inspect them. I mean, it almost looks a little bit like Hespera, this god, has come down to give inspection to these new heroes uh, who kind of carry the namesake of her father, Atlas, and she's coming down to inspect them, and she don't look too happy. Lady Helen Mirren does not look too happy, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, Dee sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Dee's. Appreciate that. Oh, she doesn't look pleased at all. Listen, I've said this before. I will say it again. I am one of the bigger Shazam fans uh, in the world. <laughs> I, I like Shazam, and I admit I like it more than most people do. Okay, I, I admit it. I like it more than most. But I thought the first Shazam was such a delightful, entertaining, fun, uh, great little comic book movie that I just enjoyed and I smiled ear to ear throughout the entire thing. I, I just adored it. It did not do great at the box office. It didn't do great. Not at all. I mean, it broke even, but you want more than that. And, you know, I was talking about this yesterday. I was scared as a fan of this movie that they wouldn't do a sequel because it kind of disappointed at the box office. But word of mouth was good enough that they felt comfortable. You know, we can do another one. It'll make more money. I hope more people give it a chance. You add somebody like Helen Mirren in there. And I, by the way, I really like Lucy Liu as well. I've been a big Lucy Liu fan for almost most of my life. I really, really liked her. So I'm looking forward to seeing these two pairing up in this movie. Question is, guys, what do you think about the look of Helen Mirren in this? I think it looks badass. I think it looks totally great. It's just an image. It doesn't mean it's going to be good. I mean, Shazam 2 could be total, you know, horse crap for all we know. It is just an image, but I do like the image. Question is, guys, what do you think about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys with that down let's move on to main topic number two and our second main topic today gets submitted to us by dave clemens and dave clemens writes good morning john and rob obviously rob's not here today so i was listening to you guys talking about michael keaton's pictures and you said you expect his role to be really small I hope it's larger. I mean, why would somebody like Michael Keaton appear in a movie if it's only for a small role? Thanks. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. Appreciate that. And yes, we have been talking a lot lately. I mean, let's face it. Ever since last year, when word first came out that Michael Keaton was going to be appearing in the upcoming Flash movie as Batman, there had been a lot of talk and speculation about how big or small this role was going to be. 
Now, I have contended, and I think for very good reason, I have contended all year that Michael Keaton is clearly going to be playing a small, if not cameo, maybe a little bit bigger than a cameo. Maybe he'll have a couple of scenes, but he will be playing a small role in this movie. You guys know I've been talking about that for a long time. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence to me that Michael Keaton was going to be playing a small role in this movie is when a short time ago it came out that Michael Keaton wasn't 100% sure he could actually be in the movie. He talked about, you know, I've got some scheduling issues. I'm also really nervous about the COVID protocols and blah, blah, and I might not be able to be in it. And my whole reasoning and logic was, how could Michael Keaton have a big role if The Flash is getting close to shooting the movie and they're not even 100% sure if Michael Keaton can be in it? Because if Michael Keaton has a big role in this film, which he doesn't, at least that's what I said before. If Michael Keaton has a big role in this film, you would have to 100% know that Michael Keaton's going to be in it because if he's not and you're basing this whole major character on him, then that means you got to go back to the drawing board and completely rework your script and completely rewrite the script, right? So to me, when Michael Keaton said that he wasn't sure that he could actually be in the Flash movie, to me that was like 100% confirmation that Michael Keaton was going to be playing a small, almost cameo, maybe a little bit bigger cameo role as Bruce Wayne in Batman. Not even sure you're going to see him in the Batman costume. All right. So we talked about that right up until yesterday. All right. We talked about that right up until yesterday. With me saying, Michael Keaton, I'm telling you, I mean, I had no insider information, but I'm telling you, Michael Keaton's going to have a really, really small role, right? With me? We're on the same page? All right. Well, this is where things get interesting. So yesterday, after we finished our show, uh, sometime later in the day, I got contacted by uh, a friend of mine who's closely connected to the situation. Now, I'm going to say this. This person I know has not always given me 100% accurate information, although their accurate information that they fed to me has been quite good. Um, I was the first one to tell you guys a couple years ago that the Nightwing project got shelved. I was the first one to tell you guys that. She was the one who told me that information. So this is that, that same person. So anyway, this person reached out to me yesterday and said, hey, John, saw a clip from your show, saw you mentioning that Michael Keaton is going to be playing a relatively small role, uh, and you've been saying that for a while, but it's not a small role. You're going to see him in the costume, and they said this, his role is at least as big as Sean Connery's was in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. It's that big. His role is at least as big as Sean Connery's was in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's that big. All right. Let's let's unpack this for a second. First of all, let me say this. Despite the fact that this is coming to me from a person who has given me bang on accurate information before, I have to give the same disclaimer that I give for other 
stories that come from other outlets. I am not Variety. I am not Deadline. I am not The Hollywood Reporter, okay? I am John's Movie Reviews dot fart, okay? I'm a nobody freaking YouTuber uh, that has certainly not the level of credibility that real outlets have, okay? Let me, I say that all the time about rumors that come from other places. I'm going to be consistent and say it about myself, all right? Do not take a scoop, because you know I stay out of scoops. So do not take a scoop coming from me as gospel truth. If what I'm saying is true, it will eventually pop up in Variety and The Hollywood Report, okay? Let me give that big, huge disclaimer. That being said, I don't like it when people I know are contacting me to tell me that something I've been saying for a year is wrong. (laughs) Because I've been telling you guys for a year, Michael Keaton's role is going to be small, it's going to be like a cameo, like blink and you'll miss Michael Keaton. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I blinked for a second. Was that Michael Keaton? Right. I've been saying for a long time, Michael Keaton's going to be small. And then I got somebody contact me and say, hey, John, I appreciate that and everything. But his role's actually pretty substantial. Now, he's not the lead of the movie. He's not the lead of the movie. But when you use words again, like. His role is at least as big as Sean Connery's was in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's that big. Like when she says that, I got to go, well, wait a minute. How big is this role? Like, is he now when you go back to like Flashpoint, right? When you go back to Flashpoint, and I'm not talking about CW's Flashpoint, like, like if you go back to DC's animated Flashpoint film, right? You know that uh, Thomas Wayne was a fairly significant character in the role. And this is obviously not a direct one-to-one translation of that. Okay? This was never a uh, a direct translation of that. But it could stand to reason that if it's a loose adaptation of that, then maybe Michael Keaton, his role, his Bruce Wayne, is a more significant mentor-type role or guiding Maybe an Obi-Wan. Maybe that's a good maybe that's a good comparison. Maybe it's like an Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of role where Flash is our Luke Skywalker. Flash is clearly our lead. Flash is our Luke Skywalker. The story surrounds Flash, but one of the auxiliary characters that is there maybe and has significant role to play is going to be Batman. So listen, again, um, I just tell you guys information that gets passed on to me. And I cannot vouch or verify that this is 100% bang on the money. Um, you should not take it as such because, again, I am not one of the legitimate trades. I'm some nobody freaking YouTuber, okay? I'm a nobody YouTuber. I am just letting you know what I've been told. That I was wrong. That uh, Keaton's going to have a small role. Again, that, I, I never said I had insider information saying Michael Keaton's role was going to be small. I said just as a fan, I'm speculating. But I felt pretty good that Keaton was going to have a borderline cameo role in this. And apparently, it's going to be significantly bigger. So, And that we are going to see him in the costume. And that it's going to be significantly bigger. Now, whether this turns out to be true... And 100% accurate, we will have to wait and see. But I'm sure we will find out soon enough. Because if we are already getting like set pictures leaked, 
And my goodness, we already saw Ezra Miller in a set picture leaked. We already saw the new Supergirl in a set picture leaked. We already saw Michael Keaton on set in a set picture leak. We're going to get more leaks. So I don't think we're going to have to wait until The Flash actually comes out, if it ever comes out. I don't think we're going to actually have to wait until The Flash comes comes out to know for sure if this is true or not. I think we're going to know pretty quickly. Because if the leaks keep coming for the next couple of weeks and couple of months and Michael Keaton keeps being seen on set, well, that pretty much answers that. Then that means that that my guess that he was going to have a relatively small role was definitely wrong. Now, if we don't see any more leaked photos from set of Michael Keaton and we see a whole bunch of other leaked set photos, but none of them have Michael Keaton, then it may mean I was right the whole time. That it is a small role. But again, just for those of you just joining us, uh, I was contacted yesterday by a contact of mine, and what she told me was it is a significant role. Once again, this is the key phrase to me. The role is at least as big as Sean Connery's was in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So we take that as it is. Is that true? Is that not? I don't know. I don't know. But here's the thing. I am never only going to tell you guys information I get that backs up my guesses and predictions, right? If I get what looks to me to be semi-reliable, if not very reliable information that contradicts my guess or prediction, I'm going to tell you that too. I'm not going to keep that hidden from you and only tell you stuff that makes it look like my guesses are always right. And uh, what I got told yesterday was that my guesses were wrong. That's going to be a major role. So I don't know. So that brings up the question though. It brings up the question. What's the story going to be? I mean, when we were just assuming that Michael Keaton had a small cameo, probably Ben Affleck with a small cameo. And by the way, I haven't heard anything official about Ben Affleck, just so you know. But when we were just assuming that those were going to be relatively small cameos, it meant really the story about The Flash could really be anything. If you just have Keaton making a cameo in one or two, maybe even three scenes, then that doesn't really affect the direction of the movie very much. You could have a movie about anything and Michael Keaton drops in as a cameo of Bruce Wayne, right? It could really be about almost anything. But if it's a serious role, if it's a serious role, and it's significant, and it has major impact on the film, and he has a significant amount of screen time, well, then that brings up the question again, okay, so what is the basic story here? And by the way, our friend Ben Rayner sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Ben. It, it does make it a more interesting question and a more interesting topic of conversation. If Bruce Wayne's in a lot of this movie, that narrows down the field about what this could be. Will it be more reminiscent of Flashpoint? I mean, we always knew that this upcoming Flash movie was going to have Flashpoint influences. We knew that. Maybe it's got heavier Flashpoint influences than we were anticipating. I mean, I don't know. Right now, it's still a big ball of speculation. So we will find out soon enough. The question is for you guys. What do you think Michael Keaton's role is going to be i mean obviously it's batman but what size how major how significant how substantial of a role is michael keaton's bruce wayne going to be in this flash i have speculated and guessed for a year that it was going to be really relatively small relatively small now i'm getting information that it 
is probably a lot more significant than that, which is true. I don't know. Question is for you guys. What do you think it's going to go? Which way do you think it's going to head? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into a third main topic today, shall we? And that third main topic is this. You know, one of the movies that I have been very, very much excited about, mostly because of who the director attached to it is, is the upcoming Suicide Squad. Because, I mean, first of all, I listen, I I know, I make no apologies for it. I know the first Suicide Squad movie was kind of a hot mess. I know, but it didn't matter. There was something about that movie to me that was joyously entertaining. Did they make some horrible mistakes in it? Yes. Should that movie had a lot more of Harley Quinn and Joker together in it? Absolutely. I thought those were the best parts of the movie when Harley and Joker were together. God, that scene with Harley, Joker, and Common in the club, I think that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. I think that's my absolute favorite scene in that movie. Anyway, even though I agree, they brought in freaking music video editors to chop up the movie. And I, I get it. It was a bit of a hot mess. That notwithstanding, I still was entertained by it. And I liked it. And I had fun with that movie. Didn't know how much I was actually looking forward to, you know, another one. But the moment that they brought on James Gunn, and you remember what he did in another movie franchise, the MCU, with a ragtag bunch of misfits thrown together doing the Guardians of the Galaxy. And you remember what kind of specialness he brought to that. And you remember films of his like Slither, still my favorite movie of James Gunn's. All respect to Guardians of the Galaxy. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. But Slither is still my favorite James Gunn movie. But you look at those things and you realize that dude bringing his sensibilities to Suicide Squad. And by the way, don't forget, when Warner Brothers came knock, knock, knocking on his door and said, "You do what, what movie you want to do, James? You can do anything you want to do. They offered him Superman. They didn't come to say, we want you to do Superman. But they said, look, James. Any movie you want is on the table. You come do a movie with us over at DC and you can have your pick, whatever you want. You want Superman? Superman's on the table. And James Gunn wanted to do Suicide Squad. Gunn wanted to do Suicide Squad. And that to me just speaks, and you're talking a movie universe with Flash and Aquaman and Hawkman and all the, you're talking about, one of the greatest pantheons of superheroes, and he had his pick. And I think it says something about the deranged, wonderful mind of James Gunn that he goes, I want to do Suicide Squad. You mean the movie they just did that wasn't so well? He made a lot of money, but not a lot of people liked it, and you want to do Yep, that's for me. To me, that's wonderful. To me, that's a, that puts a song in my heart and made me really excited to see it. Now, I've liked the trailers that we've had for it so far. I've had a lot of fun with them. I think King Shark is going to be amazing, voiced by Sylvester Stallone. But today, a brand new Suicide Suicide Squad trailer dropped. And I think it's my favorite one yet. I'm going to be honest with you. I think this new Suicide uh, Squad trailer that dropped is my favorite one yet. And I'm going to tell you what. My absolute favorite moment in this. There's a couple of really good moments, all right? The first one I'll mention is this. I have not 
I mean, I like John Cena and everything, but let me see if, oh yeah, this part here. I like John Cena and everything, but John Cena in the trailer so far has been a little hit and miss. Like the one line he had in the one trailer is really good. It's like, I thought your name is Peacemaker. I love peace with all my heart. And I'm willing to kill every man, woman, and child to get it. Or I don't care how many men, women, or children I have to kill to get it. I mean, that's a great line. It's a great line. But John Cena's been a little bit hit and missing these trailers. But then he's got a line in this trailer where, you know, the boss is standing up at the front. Man, she's like, your mission is to wipe out any trace of evidence of Project Starfish, which obviously we know what that means, right? When we hear Starfish, we know exactly what that means. But... Then all of a sudden, John Cena from the back, question, starfish is a euphemism for butthole. Are they connected? <laughs> she just looks at him and is like, no, I, I don't know why. I love that line. Maybe I'm just 10 years old and just saying the word butthole makes me laugh. Granted, but I thought that was pretty funny. But the best part of this trailer to me, and I'll, I'll bring it up here. The best part of this trailer to me. I'll just play this for a second here is when they're going through and say, wait a minute, are you talking about weasel? It's like, is this thing a werewolf? He's like, no, you didn't got me. And then he comes along. No, he's not a werewolf. He's just a weasel. He's completely harmless. I love that. And he says, he's completely harmless, but then he stops and says, well, what does he say? Exactly. He says he's completely harmless. And then he goes, well, I mean, he's murdered 27 children. I had to stop the trailer. I laugh so hard. He's not a werewolf. He's just a weasel. He's completely harmless. You know, I mean, he has murdered 27 children. (laughs) And I literally, I wasn't expecting the line. I wasn't expecting that line at all. And I literally sitting in my office by myself, hilariously started to laugh out loud. I had to pause the trailer. I backed it up, watched it through two two or three more times. And I never do that. I normally... No matter how good a trailer is or how good moments in a trailer are, I usually watch the trailer all the way through and then I'll go back and watch the parts that I really liked a couple more times. But I had, before getting through the entire trailer, I had to stop that, rewind it, stop it, rewind it, stop it, rewind it, and then I finished off the trailer. So there's that. But which also tells me that they're they're going to make this darker, right? They're going to make this darker. I mean, we already know because we saw from previous trailers King Shark is lit. We're going to see King Shark ripping people apart. And it's one thing in movies to show robots getting smashed to pieces or showing monsters getting ripped apart. But once you start showing human beings being disemboweled and showing human beings having, you know, their, their intestines or their organs spilling out onto the ground and being torn to pieces by a monster, you're getting a little bit darker. Even just with a little joke like that, like, hey, one of our heroes in this movie murdered 27 children. You got to sit with that for a minute. You got to let that wash over you for a minute. Because it's a funny line. He's harmless. I mean, he's murdered 27 children. But I was like, wait a minute. One of our heroes in this movie, like, murdered 27 children? (laughs) I mean, what... Where's James Gunn going with this? And I, I got to tell you, it intrigues me, so I love it. Now, the one thing about this trailer that I didn't like so much, and we'll see how it plays out in the movie. We'll see. Maybe it plays out great. Maybe it plays out wonderfully. But look, Idris Elba, who is obviously awesome, 
we know he is clearly the replacement for Will Smith in this. Different character who just happens to be a lethal human who's great with guns. So different character. But if you remember back in the first Suicide Squad movie, one of Will Smith's character's motivations was that of his daughter. So here comes Idris Elba replacing Will Smith as a new character who is also a highly, highly skilled human who's great with guns. And it turns out his motivation is also connected to something to do with his daughter. And I like, I just, again, maybe we'll watch the movie and we'll see that they're totally different scenarios. Again, so I don't want to jump the gun on this. (laughs) No pun intended to James Gunn. I don't want to jump the gun on it. Um, But it's, it seems like there's an opportunity there to differ. You got to take some steps to differentiate Will Smith's character from Idris Elba's character. Cause right now, like you could forgive the average fan out there who watches this and just assumes that Idris Elba is playing the same role. He just, you know, recast. I bet there's a lot of people out there today who just seen these trailers and they're just assuming that Idris Elba was just, you know, recast Will Smith. It's just a recast Will Smith. He's playing the exact same character when he's not, but they sure are making it look like the case. Anyway, that being said, I still think the trailer looks great. I really do. I am kind of dying to see this movie, partially, mainly because of James Gunn, but the trailers themselves. And listen, despite the fact that I did not like The Birds of Prey and The Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, I didn't like that movie at all. But despite the fact that I didn't like that movie at all, I still love Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. And so I'm looking forward to seeing her in there. I'm looking forward to seeing Nathan Fillion do his thing. I'm looking forward to seeing Peacemaker in this because apparently they like Peacemaker in this so much they've given him his own HBO Max series and they're shooting that already. I'm looking forward to seeing King Shark. I'm looking forward to seeing Idris Elba because it's Idris Elba. I mean, there's a lot about this I'm waiting to see. A lot about this I'm waiting to see. And uh, and of course, the main thing behind it all is James Gunn is directing it. So I liked what I saw. The question is for you guys. What did you think about this brand new trailer for Suicide Squad? For me, I really liked it. How did you guys feel about it? Did it work for you? Did it not work for you? Is it indifferent? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions that you guys have been setting in. And once again, if you want to send one in to get read on the show or in an upcoming companion video, just go down to the description of this video. You'll see a tip link. Click on that there, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Again, you'll be getting your comment or question read on the show obviously, if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting this channel at the same time. And all of us involved here with the John Campia Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. Okay, guys, with that down, let's get on over to the comments and questions you guys have been sending in. We're going to get things started off here with Dakota, who writes, Sup, John? Uh, We're you a... probably meant were were you a fan of Brock Lesnar in the UFC or just in general I know he gets hated on a lot but I think his UFC run was pretty good destroyed Frank Mir an all-time legend and former UFC heavyweight champion then beat others like Randy Couture 
like one of the greatest of all time, Randy Couture, Shane Carwin, Herring, even won the heavyweight title during his run. And and don't forget, he also beat Mark Hunt. He knocked out Mark Hunt, which is no easy thing to do. Listen, I'll tell you what. I don't care what you think about Frank or about Frank Mir. I don't care what you think about Brock Lesnar. That dude was for a period of time, the baddest man on the planet. He was the UFC heavyweight champion and he didn't just come in and beat tin cans. He beat Frank Mir. All right. Who former UFC heavyweight champion was a highly ranked dude. When Brock Lesnar beat him, beat him. He beat a very, before he fought Mir, he beat a very well respected, a very well respected heavyweight in Herring, knocked him. That was one of his best knockouts because he, Lesnar clocked that guy and literally sent this huge heavyweight rolling across the octagon. I mean, it was, it's still one of the best highlights of his career. And then you're talking about, he beat Randy, the natural couture, Captain America, one of the greatest of all time. He beat him and took the heavyweight title. He beat Shane Carwin. And a lot of people forget this right now, but at the time, Shane Carwin was a 9-0 heavyweight that was destroying everybody in his path. He was every bit as physically big as Brock Lesnar, and he was like 9-0, and he was like, I think, I can't remember exactly, but I think like seven of those were like first-round knockouts. He was literally annihilating everything in his path. And Brock went in there and beat him. I mean, so, look, you can feel however you want to feel about Brock Lesnar. But the reality is, he beat some legendary fighters. He beat some high-quality competition. And he was, at one point, the UFC heavyweight champion of the world. And yeah, he lost some fights, but look at who he lost to. He lost to two-time heavyweight champion Cain Velasquez, who was beating everybody, so there's no shame, shame there. He beat, oh, why am I freezing on the name of the Dutch uh, uh, the Dutch uh, monster? I Why am I freezing on his name? Anyway, so he lost that fight too, but he lost to incredible, legendary, iconic champions. So yeah, Brock Lesnar was really good. He was really good. I'm not going to say he's a top 10 all-time fighter. He's not, but he was legit. Very, very legit. Anyway, there's that. All right, next up, uh, we go Ryan Loner writes, I just rewatched Deliverance. Oh, man, Deliverance. Uh, and and my God, Ned Beatty was brave, brave man to have this role be the, pu- be the public's first impression of him. I'm telling you what, uh, today, uh, still a lot of people have not watched Deliverance. And of course, we talked about it recently because of the passing of the very sad passing of Ned Beatty. And everybody thinks, obviously, of Otis and Superman when we think of Ned Beatty or Network, but Deliverance Man, starring alongside Burt Reynolds, John Voight. I mean, that's an iconic movie. And I know a lot of you guys still have not seen it, but check it out. It's great. And Ned Beatty was just fantastic in it. All right, next up, uh, we've got Casey McNatt who writes, one of two. Hey, John, I was looking online the other day due to some casting news to the Toxic Avenger reboot coming from Legendary, and the cast for this movie makes me intrigued to go see it. Not only will it have Peter Dinklage in the title role, but uh, it also stars Jason Trombley, Taylor Page, and Kevin Bacon are also on board. And the newest recruits, Elijah Wood and Nighty Nights' Julia Davis. And I just got to say, this is a very weird cast for uh, this movie, but it does have me intrigued. How about you? I'm not going to lie. I have no interest in this film. 
I really don't. I mean, the original is obviously like a big cult classic, right? Obviously a huge cult classic. But this is, I don't even think this thing is ever, this thing's never going to see a movie theater. I don't think. This is going to be a straight to home video, whether it's on streaming or VOD or whatever. Um, and, and listen, I may change my mind once trailers start coming out, but I got to admit, Casey, for me right now, I have very, very little interest in this. I really do. And it's not because it's a remake. I have no problems with remakes. Hell, remake everything. I don't care. If it's good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. I don't care. But there's just nothing about this that's really catching my attention. Right? It's not that I don't like the people who are appearing in it. It's just I don't see a lot of reason to be excited yet. Who knows? That could totally change once we actually see a trailer. All right, next up. We've got Mischievous Gremlin who writes, I want to change up the narrative since everybody keeps on asking when we are going to get a No Way Home trailer. Well, I ask, when are we likely going to get a new Halloween Kills trailer? We are only four months out from October. Yeah, I suspect soon. I suspect soon. But listen, I am telling you, I really feel like in the next couple of years, four months is going to become the norm. And, and I've been saying this for a long, I haven't necessarily been saying four months for a long time, but I've been saying for years that the industry needs to shrink the distance between when their trailers come out and when the movie comes out. And we've talked about that a lot on this show. Putting a trailer out 10 months before a movie comes out is pointless, utterly, completely useless and pointless. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. And any buzz that gets generate disappears in the wind pretty quick. You got to wait a little bit more. And we've been seeing that window closing and that's good. We've been seeing, you know, the time from, you know, trailers getting released to when the movie's actually coming out, becoming closer and closer. And that's a good thing. And I think we're not there yet, but I actually think in the next couple of years that that about four months out is going to be the time there will be exceptions, but I think we're going to start seeing about four months to be the time. But yeah, I'm thinking we are getting close to getting new trailers for the next Halloween film. I, I'm going to guess in the next within the next four weeks. So that's my guess. Anyway, we'll see, man. We'll see. All right. Thanks a lot for that. Next up. Uh, where are we at here? Uh, Teske writes, Hey, John, I wanted to let you on, uh, in on the fact that you inspired me to get back into YouTube. Oh, that's great to know, man. Thank you for sharing that with me, Teske. That makes me feel good. After quitting gaming for a while, I rekindled my love for films thanks to you and this community and convinced me to give it another shot. Bring on the filthy. That's awesome, man. I Like I said, I always encourage everybody. I think any everybody should be involved in either blogging, YouTubing, podcasting, or something. It's just a great creative expression. You don't need to have a lot of people watching or reading or listening. It doesn't matter. It's for your own creative exercise. And I think that's good for everybody. And I think it's great for everybody to add their voices to the conversation. So if you've gotten back into that, man, Teske, I think that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that with me, man. That, that made me feel pretty good today. Thank you for that, dude. I appreciate that. All right, next up. We've got better usernames available rights. John, I just watched Luca and I thought it was miles better than Onward. Uh, I, I think it's the opposite, but whatever, which I thought was better than Soul. Shame it missed the cinemas. Uh, what a nice little story of friendship. Thanks from the UK. P.S. Somehow I still think Black Widow will be alive in a post credit scene. Oh, dude, listen, I don't think she will be, but I'm not going to I'm not willing to bet any money against that. I'm not willing to put any money on that. <laughs> Because this is the MC fake death universe, man. Um, yeah, as far as Luca goes, I like Luca. I liked it. I thought it was good. 
I didn't think it was great. Um, it, it it didn't it doesn't have that Pixar magic to it, in my opinion. But I will say this: Sasha Baron Cohen does the voice of one character in this movie, uh, and it's Luca's uncle. And I won't give away the scene, but Sasha Baron Cohen Borat does the voice of one character, and he only has one scene. All right, it's just one scene. But oh my God, that one scene to me is hilarious. It's the best. It's one of the best, if not the best, scene of the movie. It's the best scene of the movie. And if you've seen Luca, you know the scene I'm talking about. It has something to do with whale carcass. Anyway, it's the best scene of the movie. I really liked it. But you know, it's it's charming. It's likable characters. Again, I enjoy it. I liked Luca. It's a win. I I just didn't think like. Coming from the studio that makes Ratatouille and makes Coco and makes Up and makes Wally and makes The Incredibles and makes Toy Story and on a it it just didn't feel up to the normal Pixar standard for me, for me. But there are other people out there that completely are in love with it. But again, for me, it's a thumbs up movie. I enjoyed it, and I'm glad you did too. All right, next up, um, an anonymous viewer writes. Well, I finished the Trinity and I saw Catwoman. Oh, so the vile, evil Trinity of Hollywood, the three worst big Hollywood wide release films of all time, Catwoman, Battlefield Earth, and the Highlander 2, The Quickening, in my estimation, the three worst Hollywood big budget releases of all time. Anyway, I finished the Trinity and I saw Catwoman. One thing I was surprised that I hadn't heard is that one of Catwoman's friends is played by Susie from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, who's literally, who's whose literal every single line is obsessing about her sex life, it's uncomfortable. Listen, there are so many things that are uncomfortable with that movie. So many things uncomfortable with that movie. The only thing not uncomfortable is seeing Halle Berry in that Catwoman outfit because while Halle Berry's Catwoman outfit was not comic accurate, I mean, I won't do the the meow, but wow, that was... I mean, that was at least something, right? Because Halle Berry, man or woman, is one of the most beautiful male or female creatures walking the face of the earth, man. She's just, stu- she still is absolutely stunning. But back in then, uh, and it's still crazy about Catwoman, is it came out the year after she had her Oscar-winning performance in, I think it was Monster's Ball, which was incredible. So she does Monster's Ball one year, wins an Academy Award, does Catwoman and wins the Razzie for worst actress the next year. And in a show of how classy Halle Berry is and how good of a sense of humor Halle Berry has, I don't know if many of you guys remember this. So Halle Berry wins the Academy Award one year. Next year wins wins the Razzie for worst actress. Halle Berry actually went and attended the Razzie ceremony So she could go up on stage and accept the Razzie. And I will tell you what, there's a lot of really good, impressive things that Halle Berry has done in her career. But the one thing that forever put her in my good books, like forever, was that she had the humility and the sense of humor and the self-awareness to go, you know what? I'm getting the Razzie. I'm going to go to the ceremony and I'm going to go up on stage and I'm going to accept the Razzie. The year after she won the Oscar for Best Actress, 
classy lady, man. And it showed she has a great sense of humor. And that just cemented it for me. I'll, I'll be a fan of hers for life. I will be a fan of hers for life. Anyway, uh, next up, uh, Aaron writes, theory. Uh, Lady Loki slash Sylvie is from the original multiverse uh, and is the daughter of an alternate Loki. That's that's a possible. I've heard that theory. It's a possibility. She's trying to recreate the multiverse to bring back as close to her timeline and her father as possible. Yeah, I've heard other theories along those lines, and it's not a bad theory. It's not a bad theory. Now, we're going to obviously get a I think tonight for me, it's tonight, tonight at midnight, whatever time that is for you guys. Uh, if you're on the East Coast, that means 3 a.m. If you live in another country, whatever time that is for you. But for me, it's midnight tonight. We're going to get, I think in this episode, we are going to get a lot of information. I mean, at the end of tonight's episode, we're officially halfway through Loki. I think we're going to get a lot of information that is going to set up the final three episodes. And we may very well find out that that's the case. It's a good theory, Aaron. And uh, by the way, don't forget, don't forget. Pre-game show tonight. Game day. We got our pre-game show at 4 p.m. Uh, Los Angeles time. Make sure you guys come back and join us, of course, for that. Okay. Uh, with that down, let's move on here. Next up, we got Min Tran who writes, If Lin-Manuel Miranda chose to take the lead role instead of a major character, uh, would that have been enough star power for In the Heights? Uh, I don't think so. You know, one of the big reasons, only one of the reasons that I think In the Heights, an absolutely fantastic movie. In the Heights is fantastic. But I had no interest in seeing it because the trailers were bad. I had no sense of what the story of the movie was. And there's no stars in it. I mean, Jimmy Smits is there, but he plays a small role. There's no star power. Well, John, it shouldn't matter if there are stars. Oh, I agree. I agree. But the reality is, and by the way, James Bonner sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. The reality is 90% of the movie going audience, they want to see somebody they recognize when they look at trailers. That creates a connection between an audience member and a potential movie. Uh, that's a big reason why, like, um, uh, Greatest Showman which I think is is a better movie than In the Heights, but they're close. I, I think the quality of Greatest Showman and In the Heights are very, very close. But one of the big differences is when an average person looks at the trailers for Greatest Showman, they see Hugh Jackman, they see Zendaya, they see, um, what's his name, Zac Efron. They hear incredible, they see Michelle Williams, not the biggest stars in the world sometimes, but faces they recognize and they know. You know, In the Heights had nothing. And and while a lot of people, I think, know the name of Lin-Manuel Miranda, I don't think he's like a, a super recognizable face to a lot of average moviegoers. But more importantly than that, he couldn't play Uznavi anymore. He could play Uznavi 15 years ago. He couldn't play Uznavi today. We're not going to buy Lin-Manuel as this young, you know, kid living on the block anymore. Uh, he, he's he's self-aware enough to know he can't play that role anymore. So he played a different role. I, and again, I have no complaints about any of the cast in the movie. They were all great. They were all great. But you needed one or two. First of all, you needed better trailers. 
But then beyond that, you needed, I think, one or two more recognizable faces that would have attached more of the audience to it. So anyway, that, that's just that's just kind of my take on it. I could be wrong about that, though. I could be dead wrong about that. All right, next up. Min Tran also writes, out of curiosity, does Robert even care that NBC announced that Manifest was canceled? Again, we did talk about that the other day. And yes, it's his favorite show to love to hate, Manifest. Uh, we talked about that the other day, and he cared that it was canceled. He cared that it was canceled, man. All right, uh, Jack Lumbers writes, one of two. Hey, John, you said you watched the dailies on the AMC stock situation. I just keep my eyes on the stock price out of curiosity. Can you elaborate on what you mean by the dailies? I just mean I just check on the daily stock prices. I, I don't do heavy investigation into the stock or anything like that. I just I check in every day. I, I open up my app. I open up my Robinhood or one of the other apps, and I just check to see what the stock prices are. I just keep my eyes on it. That's Anyway, can you elaborate on what you mean by the dailies? Have you just been watching the news, or have you been watching YouTubers also? No, no, I'm not going to pay attention to YouTube YouTubers for... Um, serious stuff like that. So no, I haven't, I haven't paying any attention to YouTubers on that. Uh, next up. Oh, so sorry. Two of two YouTubers like trace trade, Mac core, uh, Rosox capital, uh, et cetera, especially trace trace two interviews to CEO, Adam Aaron as an ape. I'm probably too down the rabbit hole. However, they make good work and are knowledgeable about the subject. Yeah. But uh, again, to me, and I'm not, listen, I am not a financial guy. I'm not. I'm an entertainment guy in my life before this. I'm a law guy, but I've never been a financial guy or a finance guy. So I have no interest. Like, I'm not a car guy, so I have no interest in YouTube channels about cars. I'm not a sneaker guy. Like, like Ray and my buddy Matt are like massive sneaker guys, but I'm not a sneaker guy. So I don't care about YouTube channels about sneakers. Not that I'm not saying they're not great, but they just hold no interest for me because that's not my thing. Uh, But they are there for people who that is their thing. I, and I'm not a finance guy, so I really don't care about those YouTube channels, but it's also much like my own entertainment thing. I always take the word of the actual legitimate trades over zero nobody YouTubers like me. Um, And so, yeah, if I was seriously into finance, maybe I would watch those YouTube channels. Maybe I'd still probably get my information elsewhere, the primary information, but I don't know. I don't know. Again, I shouldn't be trying to comment on a set and a genre of YouTube channels that I don't watch because I'm not a finance guy, right? So, yeah, there's that. Anyway, uh, thanks for that, uh, Jack Lumbers. Next up, uh, where are we at here? Suthius writes, Speaking of Loki, Hunter B15, uh, Wumi Mo- uh, Mosaku, who is, of course, Ruby in um, uh, Lovecraft Country, and she's great in that, is actually British. I had no idea. I had no idea that girl was British. After seeing her performance in Lovecraft and Loki, I just assumed she was American. I'm always surprised when I found out that an American actor-actress is actually British and not the other way around. Man, I'll tell you what. There, I still remember the first time I heard Christian Bale's actual accent. I'm like, what, what, the, what the hell is that? That's how Christian Bale actually talks. I mean, I'd never know from watching his movies. I would never know. It is crazy. How good. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I have always just had a sense that, you know, British and Australian actors do a much better job doing American accents than American actors do uh, British or Australian accents. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just the way I've always kind of felt. I could be way off about that, though. But yeah, I had no idea that girl was British, man. I had no idea, especially after watching her Lovecraft Country. Are you kidding me? That's amazing. All right. Next up, Uh, Mark 2021 writes, hey, John. 
I was watching your companion video from yesterday and butter popcorn. What uh, this is butter on popcorn. What this is new. I live in Ireland and I am unknown to this. Is this an American or Canadian thing? Uh, sweet popcorn or sweet popcorn all the way. I, is that not a thing everywhere? Like, yeah, the whole reason I have popcorn is just to eat butter. I'm not going to lie. Popcorn to me, you guys know what I'm going to say. Say it with me. Popcorn is a butter delivery device. That's what popcorn is. It is a butter delivery device. I did not know that wasn't like that all over the world. I learned something new here every day. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. I appreciate that. All right, next up, Rick Squire writes, if Gordon Ramsay randomly uh, decided to close his restaurants when you and Ann visited Vegas, which wouldn't happen, uh, where would you choose to dine? I discovered a great French bistro, obviously in the Paris Hotel called Mon Ami Gabi, and I also like Gilly. I've, I have recommended Mon Ami Gabi many times. It's funny because two of my favorite places to eat in Vegas are actually in the Paris Hotel, which is right beside Planet Hollywood uh, on the Strip in Vegas. Um, I never stay at the Paris Hotel, but two of my favorite places to eat in Vegas are uh, Gordon Ramsay's Steak. That's my number one favorite place to eat in Vegas. He has his signature beef Wellington dish there that Ann and I just die for. But also in that same hotel is a restaurant, is another steakhouse called Monomiga B. And it's wonderful. Like it's, it's great. And it's a little bit easier to get into than Gordon Ramsay's steak as well. But Monomiga B in plant, listen, if you guys are in Vegas, you're looking for a good place to eat, just head on over to Paris Hotel, man, because you're going to have two choices and they're both fabulous. Also, there's a restaurant in Planet Hollywood called the strip house which is also really good you know it's funny all these places are steakhouses and i'm not even a huge steak guy but uh steakhouse is also wonderful uh that's a really good one to go to there was a terrific italian restaurant in the rio hotel but it closed down just before covid happened so and so that kind of sucks but yeah there's listen a lot of great places to eat but i love that one man i really really do all right next up uh ishmael montoya writes hey john i hope you're doing well i am doing well thank you well, my movie brother, uh, I hope you're doing well, my movie brother. Would you say that Walmart Lady Loki is much more experienced in the TVA and in time travel than the MCU would replace? Let me try this again. Is much more experienced in the TVA and in time travel that the MCU would replace a Loki variant with Tom Hiddleston's role. By the way, uh, it's my 36th birthday today. Thanks, John, and bring on the filthy. Well, happy birthday, Ismail. I hope you have a great day and a great year ahead of you. Happy birthday to you, my friend. Um, do I think they'll replace Tom Hiddleston with this variant, whether this variant is Enchantress or Lady Loki or whatever she ends up being? I, I don't know. I mean, they could do, they literally could do anything in the MCU. They could do anything at any time. They may remain pretty unpredictable at what they do. And sometimes they do great things. Sometimes they don't, but I would say, no, people just like Tom Hiddleston. They, the audience, look, there's a reason they've brought him back from the dead like 17 times. Even after Thanos kills him and says, no resurrections this time. Kidding. Here's Loki again, everybody. I mean, it's the MC fake death universe. Anyway, the audience just loves Loki too much. I love Loki too. I'm loving this show. I've loved Loki since the first Thor movie. So I don't think they will, but it's totally possible. It is totally possible. We'll see where they go. All right, next up, 
Uh, we got Rick Squire who writes, John, thanks for answering all my Vegas questions. No problem, man. I hope you enjoy answering them as much as I love asking them. I was stoked when you told me I could send you Vegas questions, and I hope you and Ann are having a splendid time in Sin City. Of course, Ann and I just got back from Vegas, had a wonderful time in Vegas. Absolutely fantastic. We haven't been in over a year. Uh, I love, obviously, playing poker in Vegas. I haven't been able to do that in a long time. It was very, very profitable and a lot of fun for me playing poker in Vegas this weekend. I finished up. So I played three days. I One day I started at midnight and I played till four in the afternoon. You heard that right. I started at midnight, played till four in the afternoon. The next day I started around 11 p.m. and I played till about noon till about 12 p.m. And then the third day I started playing around 5 p.m. and played until about 5 a.m. So I played about 12 hours there. Anyway, day one, I finished up about $2,000. Day two, I finished up about $1,000. And then on day three, I finished up not as good, but I finished up still around $200. So I ended up finishing up around 32, 33, around that neighborhood, 3,300 bucks. Now, look, that's obviously not a high roller. I'm not about to go and take on Daniel Negranu or uh, Phil Ivey or Helmuth or whatever. I'm not about to go take on the pros, clearly. But for a guy who hadn't been able to go and play in Vegas for a while, it felt really good to go and play and play well and have a good time. And hey, whenever you can walk away with a little bit extra money, why not? It's pretty good, too. All right, next up. Um, and actually, you know, I'll, let me see, you know what? Indulge me here just for fun. Indulge me. Let me see if I can find these. Um, okay. So here's, that's not the fun one. This is the fun one. This was like the first night. This was the first night that I was playing. So when you play, you can see Caesar's palace. I was playing at Caesar's palace and so I was playing the 1-3 game, and on the 1-3 game, the most you can buy in for is $300. I know, John, nobody here cares about poker. I know, but it's my show. Indulge me for a minute. So you can you buy in for about, you can buy in up to a maximum of $300. So I bought in for $300. The red chips are $5 chips. Uh, the red chips are $5 chips. Each stack of red is 100 So I started the game with three red stacks. So this was getting near the end of the, e- the the near the end of my day one of playing. The red chips are five dollars. Each stack is worth about a hundred. The green chips were each worth twenty five dollars, and the black chips on top were each worth a hundred dollars. So anyway, yeah, I mean, do the math. I finished. I finished a little over two thousand up. So it was it was really good. I enjoyed playing. I mean, listen, and I'm cool going to Vegas and playing and losing. Like if I go and lose, that's fine because I go to play to have fun. But I'm not gonna lie, it's pretty cool when you get to walk away. Uh, when you get to walk away with a little bit, and then the next night, um, this obviously a smaller stack than before. But again, I bought in for three red stacks, and uh, the reds are each stack is worth a hundred. The blacks are worth a, are, are worth one hundred each, and then there's the green chips are worth twenty five each. So again, that night I finished about a thousand up. That was pretty good. So that was uh, day two that I was playing. So that was, uh, that was pretty fun. But anyway, yes, I had a wonderful time playing in Vegas, had a great time. Uh, and I don't want to paint a false picture. It's not like every time I go and play poker, I, I have those types of wins. I don't, but I usually do pretty well. And, uh, that was just a really, really good trip. And I had a lot of fun. So thank you for asking, man. All right. Next up. 
Um, let's see here. That was Rick. Next one up is Troll101 who writes, I heard Disney World is a magical place. What are your thoughts on this? Actually, I've never been to Disney World. I've never been to Disney World in Orlando. I, I, I've heard it's better than Disneyland. Clearly, I'm never going back to Disneyland, but I, I will try out Disney World sometime because I keep having people tell me it's better. All right, next up, uh, Min Tran writes, John, I was re-watching Popstar, Andy Samberg. I really like Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. I really like that movie. Anyway, uh, do you think that if the movie came out sooner, would songs like Bin Laden, uh, Bin Laden or uh, F Off uh, as big as I'm on a boat or just have sex okay so you're asking do i think some of the songs from pop star never stop never stopping which starred lonely island couldn't be as big as the other lonely island songs i don't know maybe maybe the one song in pop star that was really good is humble that he that uh, they do with adam levine uh, humbles a really, really good song, but you look at some of lonely Island stuff, like the captain Jack Sparrow song that they do with Michael Bolton is like one of my all time favorite songs coming out of SNL. Obviously then Dick in a box is all time classic. Um, it's okay. If it's in a three way that that's a great one. I just had sex that I think they do with seal is hilarious. Um, what are some of the other ones? Oh yeah, Jizz in My Pants. Jizz in My Pants is one of the greatest songs ever to come out. Jizz in My Pants is one of the greatest songs to ever come out of SNL. Yeah. Jizz in My Pants. Dun, 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 dun. I don't know why. It's just hilarious. And the video is fantastic. If you've never seen any of these, particularly go on YouTube and search Lonely Island Jizz in My Pants or dick in a box or three way or whatever. They just, they make really, really funny stuff. Oh, I threw it on the ground as well. Matthew put that one in, threw it on the ground. That's a really, really good one too. Birthday cake. And I threw it on the ground. (laughs) That one's great actually. But yeah. And the captain Jack Sparrow one with Michael Bolton. This is the tale of captain Jack Sparrow. Go see it. It's uh, go watch it. They're great. Lonely Island is awesome. While I love the movie Pop Star, I don't know if any of the songs that out of that one are quite as catchy as uh, as their other stuff. But the movie's great. I really do enjoy the movie. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, uh, where are we at? Dakota writes, with any given movie studio basically having hundreds, if not thousands of scripts in some kind of storage, do they eventually sell off unmade scripts to other smaller studios or do the scripts just remain in their purgatory never to be made into anything? Well, that's a good question, Dakota. It's a very, very good question. Um, I was actually, you know, Robert Meyer Burnett used to have a job of being, you know, a, a script reader. He would do coverage on scripts. He would be a script reader for a studio. I was offered a job. I haven't talked about this in a long time, but I have mentioned it before. Shortly after I first moved to L.A., I was offered a job at one of the studios uh, to basically do coverage on scripts. The there This is back when the studios were still trying to figure out these emerging film pundits online, these emerging online film pundits. This is not long after Time Magazine did that article on me called... Uh, all about the emerging influence of online film pundits. And Time Magazine did an article on me and all this kind of stuff. And 
One of the studios reached out and set up a meeting. It was For me, it was incredible at the time because it was one of the first times that I ever felt like I was really in Hollywood. So I got called in. I got to sit down with the president of the studio, and they kind of gave me this idea about, you know, again, you got to remember, this was a time when they were still trying to figure out what this new emerging like online film punditry and the influence that we had, all that kind of stuff. So they had offered me a job to not do initial script coverage, but scripts that they had gone through. They wanted to hand off a bunch of scripts to me that they thought they had promise. And their, their, their figuring was I, this is what they thought and they were kind of wrong, but they thought I have my finger on the pulse of the fans because I'm engaging with thousands of fans every day. So they figure, Oh, this guy, you know, has his finger on the pulse of the fans. He knows what the fans want. I'm like, I'm just another fan, but their idea was take scripts that they had already vetted a little bit, throw them on my desk, have me read them and then just give them my notes about how I think audiences and fans and, or particular the demographic of fans that I engaged with most uh, would actually feel about them and never worked out, never did it. Um, uh, and all that kind of stuff, but still, that was a pretty, that was a pretty cool experience at the time. And then they never even created the position after that. But anyway, that's a long story to basically say this. A lot of people don't understand how, you know, hold the script process works and what happens once a script gets, gets, uh, written. Um, what will often happen is, let's say you write a script. I wrote a script once, and a studio uh, or a production company bought an option on it. Now, what an option basically, and I'm oversimplifying it, and I'm not going to pretend like I know all the ins and outs details of it. I'm just going to speak in generalities here. So an option on the script was this. Let's say this phone was a script. Okay, let's say this phone had a script on it, right? An option means this, the studio or production company or producer or whatever pays me a certain amount of money that says for a certain amount of time, nobody else can make a movie out of your script except us. It doesn't mean we're going to make a movie out of the script. It means if the only people who have the option to make this script into a movie is us. So Let's, for argument's sake, say, you know, uh, $5,000. Just making up a number. So a studio decides they like a script. And they say, we would like, we're not ready to just buy the script and greenlight it, but we'd like to at least buy an option on it. So they pay you, the screenwriter, like $5,000. And that basically means that you can't shop this script out to anybody else and it always has a fixed period of time. Maybe they bought a six-month option. Maybe they bought a three-month option. Maybe they bought a two-year option. The bigger the time, the higher the money they'd have to pay. And that, again, so they, and they can sit on that script and then after a year or two years, after the, the option lapses, they can either buy another option from you to extend the option or they can make the movie and then pay you an amount of money to make the, your script into a movie to buy the script from you. Or they can just let the option lapse and now you're free to take your script to other people too. So a lot of times options on these scripts 
Um, options on these scripts will just lapse. Sometimes they buy scripts outright, but then never make movies out of them. Most most scripts that they buy, it's it's kind of gambling. It's kind of speculation. They'll buy the script. They'll see if they can develop it into something, and most of the time they can't, so the scripts just sit in a vault. Sometimes they make them into movies, and sometimes other studios may be interested and may come calling and say, hey, we know you won the rights to this story that the screenwriter wrote, but we also notice you're not doing anything with it. Can we buy the rights off you? I mean, so sometimes that'll happen, but I think more times than not, they just never go anywhere. They just never get made. So anyway, again, I am not an expert on the inside working of the life cycle of the screenplay, but that I think gives you a general idea. I think that gives you a basic general idea. All right. Thanks for asking, man. Next up, uh, we've got, uh, where were we next? Eponymous writes, um, unpopular opinion, but I don't want Spidey three to connect with animated intro intro. Oh, you mean into the spider verse. I'd rather see the version of miles that has already been teased. Not sure. I like the Andrew and Toby theory either, but I hope it's a small part. If any at all, here's the problem though, dude. Who cares? Like you're saying, I don't want to see them do that. Why not? But maybe they do it and it's amazing. Now, listen, I'm with you. I like if I had my choice, like all other things being equal, do I want this new movie to cross over with the animated Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? And all other things being equal, if they called me and say, John, do you think this is what we should do? I'd probably say no, but it all comes down to, it's not what the concept is, is, is it well executed? Cause they may have an idea for how to make that work in a brilliant way, in a brilliant way. And we got to see it to know it. Cause you know me, I was like uh, a Lego movie. Whose stupid idea was that? You're going to make a movie about little square building blocks. That that's, that's your big idea. That's going to make you millions of dollars. Ooh, you're going to make a movie about square plastic toy building blocks. That's your big idea. You're a moron. Well, guess what? It was awesome. They had a terrific idea for it, and they executed it well, and they fleshed it out, and they made one of the more enjoyable animated films we've seen in a long time. So while I agree... By the way, got to grab another Zevia. Zevia Cola, sponsor me, you cheap sons of bitches. Anyway, um, that movie turned out to be fantastic. So I, I wouldn't get too worried or invested about what the concept is. Like, even me, like, I don't like the idea of, of bringing in, I think it's cheap and gimmicky to bring in Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. I do. I think that's cheap, a cheap gimmick, a cheap pop. To me, it's like a rock band going on stage in, in, you know, Boise and saying, what's up, Boise, to get a cheap pop from the audience, right? But, you know, I, I've come to terms with it. Like, if they do it and they have a great idea for it, maybe it can be absolutely fantastic. So let's see where they go with it. Let's see where they go with it. And K Major writes, everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. I love that song. Uh Montreal for the Stanley Cup. Well, they're doing pretty well. Hey, John, one of three. Uh, about should Warner Brothers have made Man of Steel 2 already the other day? Uh, I'm with Rob. 
They should have, in my opinion. I believe that, yes, some people like me expected something else from it and were disappointed at first. It's now one of my favorite movies. Uh, But I think we were all happy with the casting of Henry Cavill as Superman. The man is Superman. You said uh, that most people didn't like him in Batman versus Superman, but I think it was not him, but really the story around him. They didn't, they did the story around him that they didn't like. I really think that what people want to see ultimately uh, when Superman is on screen is heroism. If before Batman versus Superman, they had made a proper sequel to Man of Steel where they were showing his heroic side, I think Man of Steel showed tons of Superman's heroic side. What are you talking about? Anyway, uh, which we really did had until the end of Justice League. In my opinion, people would have responded way better to it. What do you think? I disagree. Here's the problem. Man of Steel was great. It is one, in my opinion, one of the greatest comic book movies ever made. And certainly the most underrated comic book movie ever made. And Henry Cavill was obviously fantastic. But the fact that I feel that way is inconsequential. It doesn't matter that I feel that way. The reality is half the audience and half the critic hated half the critics hated it. And you don't build your movie around your cast. The act the characters are not there to serve the actors. The actors are there to serve the characters. And if the audience didn't like this iteration of Superman, regardless of whether or not, like a lot of people liked Ben Affleck as Batman, they just didn't like the Batman they got. Even though they like Batman, they like Ben Affleck playing it, they didn't like that Batman, even though I love that Batman personally. That's just me. But you don't make movie decisions on the actor you're going to have doing it. You base movie decisions on your story and your characters and how have the audience responded. And you can say all you want. You and I can both say all, all the want. People will like it better if you do this. You have no idea that that's true. You and I have no idea that that's true. We can say that all we want. I can say, you know what it is? If you, if you give Superman a green S, people will love it. I can say that, but me saying it doesn't make it true. The fact of the matter is they made a great movie in Man of Steel and people didn't like it. And all film is subjective and that's cool. They did not like this iteration of Superman. I think it's dumb that they didn't like it. (laughs) I think they should have loved it, but they didn't. And, And we as movie fans have to... Be a little bit more objective and stand back and say, even though I liked it, how did everybody else feel about it? A lot of the audience didn't like it. The movies underperformed. They didn't score well at the box office or on the critic scores. They didn't score well on the audience ratings. What are you going to do? Now, obviously, I would love another Superman with Henry Cavill. And I even think that with J.J. Abrams doing a black Superman, that means J.J. Abrams' Superman is going to be in a different universe, so that keeps the door open that maybe you could do another one with Henry Cavill. I'm not holding my breath, but I will cross my fingers. So so it's all possible, but you also have to be... Look, if you're in charge of one of these studios, you also have to be rational, and you have to be objective, and you have to step back and look at the bigger picture. How many times are you going to try? They did the Henry Cavill Superman in Man of Steel... Audiences and critics didn't like it in mass. So then you tried it again in Batman versus Superman. The audience and the critics didn't like it in mass. 
Then you tried it again in Justice League. And the theatrical version, the audience and the critics didn't like it in mass. Although the, the critics, the reality is the critic score and the audience score were both higher than Batman versus Superman or both higher than uh, like Man of Steel. Go figure. I, I don't know how that makes sense, but whatever. And despite the fact what everybody thought, oh, yeah, but when the Snyder Cut comes out, everybody's going to love it. Guess what? They didn't. It didn't get the numbers on HBO Max that they were expecting. And it's already fallen out of the conversation. So it does not matter how much I love Man of Steel or how much I like Batman versus Superman or how much I thought Ben Affleck's Batman is the greatest Batman I've seen on screen. It doesn't matter that I liked it. It it only matters of if you're making business decisions, you've got to give concrete rationale as to is it reasonable to invest hundreds of millions of dollars again in the same thing that we've already not had success with. Now, you and I will hope that they do, but we got to say, yeah, but from a business point of view, does it actually make sense? And I, I, I just don't know that it actually makes sense, even though it's what I want. You know what it's like? I've made this comparison before. It's like Supernatural for me. I love Supernatural. I love that show. But when I had some of my fellow Supernatural fans come to me and say, like wrote in onto the show and say, John, they should totally make a supernatural movie. Warner Brothers should make a supernatural movie because Supernatural's great. And I had to say, yeah, Supernatural's great. But while a decent amount of people watch Supernatural for a CW show, the reality is not a ton of people watch Supernatural. And it does not have the popularity that that you and I feel that it should have. And so while I would love to see Sam and Dean come back and do a Supernatural movie, I would love to see it. But the reality is, if you're a Warner Brothers executive, do you greenlight that movie? No. It just doesn't make business sense, despite the fact how much I love it. Should Warner Brothers have done a Man of Steel 2? I would have. But I get why they didn't, because if you just look at the cold, hard, unfeeling data, that it's hard to make a case that they should. And again, you and I can say, yes, but if you do this, more people will like it. We can say that, but you can't prove that. I can say that, can't prove it. And all they've got is the cold data. So I don't know. I don't know. That, that's why I say that if it were me, I would have done it. But I totally understand when you look at the cold, unfeeling data that WB executives would say, no, we're not going to do that. I I mean, I get it. I get it. Even though it's not what I would have liked or what I would have done, I get it. But eh, that's just me. All right. Next up. Uh, Next up. Oh, that was. Yeah. Did we do four or four? Yes, we did. Okay. Next up. Uh, DW writes one. Hey, John. This might be a sen- this might be a sensitive, but do you think Zack Snyder has been attention seeker these days? He is no longer with DC, but he keeps he keeps to find a way. Let me try this again. Hi John, this might be a sensitive, but do you think Zack Snyder has been attention seeker these days? 
He is no longer with DC, but he keeps to find a way to be in the spotlight like his Batman slash Catwoman canon tweet or suck at WB statement. Uh, personally, I don't think a famous director should do that. It's one thing to fight for his unfair treatment in, in the Justice League set. It's another thing to purposely use DC relevant topic uh, to bait attention. At this point, it's very annoying to see. But okay, so here's the thing, DW. Look, you know what my feeling is on directors making public statements. I think directors should shut up. I think directors who work in an industry should shut up unless they're talking about their own project or they have something nice to say about somebody else's project. Other than that, I think directors should shut up. That being said, to you saying, DW, uh, at this point, it's very annoying to see. To you, it is. But Zach also knows he has a certain demographic fan base that love hearing that kind of crap talk. And right now, that demographic fan base is his audience. So he's playing to his audience. By putting out that stuff, he is playing to his audience. And from a business perspective, and by the way, uh, super mail, su- supreme mail, super email, super email, since the super chat badge live chat. Thank you, super email. Um, from that point of view, with Zack Snyder now building his post DC career, playing to his specific fan base may not be the may not be the worst idea in the world. Again, listen, I, I like directors who do not comment on other directors' work or other studios or they just do their job, they do their thing. Uh, they talk about their own project to promote their own project. They will say nice things about other directors' things. But other than that, while they're directors and active directors, I like it that they don't like crap talk other studios or other other directors' work. And that's the way I like directors to function. At the same time, uh, every director is in a unique circumstance, and Zach is very cognizant of the fact that he has a particular demographic that he's playing to, and he's putting out content that plays to that demographic. And that's keeping him relevant. That's keeping him relevant and in the conversation. And, you know, so is there some method to the madness? You know, Madonna, like back in the day, like Madonna kind of perfected the art of being the top headline in the conversation. And it obviously worked out for her very, very well. So yeah, John, are you saying Zack Snyder's like Madonna? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, eh, do I like seeing him do that? Listen, I am a fan of Zack Snyder's work. Contrary to idiots, popular belief. I'm a fan of Zack Snyder's work. Not everything he's made sucker punch. I think it was a terrible movie, beautiful looking movie, but a terrible movie, but I like almost everything else that dude's ever made. Obviously man of steel, Batman versus Superman 300, uh, legend of the guardians, the owls of Gaul. I mean, I really like that. And I like army of the dead. I didn't think army of the dead was great, but I like army of the dead. So I like just about everything he does. So would I prefer that he just 
keeps his nose down, makes his content, makes his movie, and leaves all this kind of crap talk for for loser YouTubers like me to do? Yes, I would prefer he do that. But I also get the rationale. I also get the rationale. It plays to his audience. So, and even though it annoys you, it doesn't annoy his audience. And his audience is, his audience is the one that keeps him relevant. Just like any director, every director's audience is what keeps them relevant. Just like Zach, just like every other director. So, I mean, yeah, would I prefer he operate differently? Yes, I would personally prefer that a director whose work I like very much operated differently. But, I mean, it works for some people. So, you know, it is what it is. All right, next up. Uh, Oh, by the way, Leo Liang and uh, Marie Seifring send in Super Chat badges in live chat. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that very much. All right, next up. Uh, we've got, uh, Ishmael Montoya who writes, Hey John, uh, hear me out. What if agent Mobius is actually a Loki variant? Many, many, many people have submitted, uh, that, uh, why did that happen? I'm not sure, quite sure what, why that happened. Oh, I know why that happened. Hold a second. Give me, give me one moment and we'll, we'll get this, uh, we'll get this fixed up. Okay. Um, that's the wrong thing. I didn't mean to do that. I meant to do this. There we go. Um, Many, many, many people have sent me in that theory that Mobius is another Loki variant. Anyway, uh, what if Agent Mobius is actually a Loki variant and Mobius is now trying to work together with our Loki in order in order to overthrow the timekeepers that he's never seen thoughts? I don't think that's what they're doing. I I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Um, So, no, I'm not saying it's impossible, though, and that it's completely off the table. I mean, just about anything, anything they do is possible. Any theory you can come up with in something as bonkers as the MCU in general, but specifically something as bonkers as the the premise in Loki, everything is possible, but I don't get that vibe. I I don't personally get that vibe, but you're not alone, Ismail. Like I said, a lot of people submitted that theory to me, so who knows? Could be. All right, next up, uh, Boris writes, John. I just finished episode 15 of Lucifer, and I don't think a single episode of television has ruined me more. The performance from everyone just made it so much more heartbreaking, including Maze in the next episode with the NSYNC. Sh- oh, now I know. you mean episode 15 of the new season, uh, including Maze in the next episode with the NY uh, NSYNC shirt. Way too sad. I'll tell you what, I'm not going to say what happens for those of you who haven't seen it, but something happens that I totally did not see coming. And it created a very sad situation and Maze is with, and it's such good, like, man, I love this Lucifer show so much. And when every time I start fe- feeling like, okay, now Lucifer is going to start to run out of steam, it doesn't. It just keeps being as viciously charming and entertaining and and lucifer morningstar is still my favorite individual character on television right now i love this show and yeah those those episodes were really good boris all right ryan g writes hey john loco loki hey john loki episode two so far is my favorite so far well yeah i agree i mean we've only had two episodes until tonight at midnight that is we've only had two episodes but i agree i i agree with you that episode two was the was even better than episode one you know, I was saying that all week leading up to episode two. I was saying, guys, I can't wait for you guys to see episode two because to me, I think it's even better than episode one. So I agree with you. It's my favorite so far. Ryan also writes, hey, John, 
I watched 10 Things I Hate About You. Man, it's been a long time since I watched that. A long time. On Friday, June 18th, what do you think about the movie? It is really good movie. Um, I'm not going to lie. I have a lot of friends who, particularly like girlfriends, that really like that movie. And you go back and look at it now. I think that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt and obviously Heath Ledger. Hold on a second. I'm here. Uh, 10 Things... I hate about you. It's been a, it's been a long time since I've watched this. I think Julia Stiles is in there too. Hold on a second. Come on, bring it up. Okay, here we go. Um, Ten things I hate about you. Uh, yeah, Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, oh, I forgot about Andrew Keegan. Um, anyway, I I'm not gonna lie. It's it's kind of got this iconic cult status. I never thought it was great. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I appreciated 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, it's a good date night kind of movie. It's uh, it's a very easy movie to watch. It's good. But I, I've just never, never understood why it has almost like this cult-like classic status, you know? I didn't think it was that good. But, you know, a lot of people enjoy it, and I'm glad you watch it, man. Of course, you got some terrific talent in it as well. All right, next up, we've got Caleb, and Caleb writes, uh, some interesting first roles by actors. Jason Statham, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I didn't realize that was his first role. Anyway, Tom Hardy was uh, Janovic in Band of Brothers. Tyler uh, Hacklin was, uh, in, uh, was, was the kid in Road to Perdition. I knew about that. And Matthew McConaughey in Days of Confused. Any of these stand out to you? Well, Matthew McConaughey in Days of Confused. I mean, the really interesting one, though, is the, the Hacklin one. I mean, because that you like to remember that was that kid. That was Superman. I mean, so it, that one stands out, obviously, because of that. But I mean, the guy with the biggest career, the guy with the Oscar on his mantle, all that kind of stuff. Matthew McConaughey, that's a huge one, too. But the the Tyler Hoechlin one was was kind of eye opening when somebody first told me, like, I have no idea who this new Superman on CW is. You ever see Road to Perdition? Yeah, he was the kid. I'm like, what? Yeah, he was the kid. That one was crazy to me. Uh, all right. Next up. Uh, where are we at? My Comic Planet. Is that where we're at? Yes. My Comic Planet writes, one of two. Hey, John, hope you had a great time in Vegas. I did have a great time in Vegas. Thank you. So by now, I'm sure you have seen the feedback from those who aren't shills, who've seen Black Widow, uh, that it's really not a good movie. Uh, this is about the fifth female lead superhero film that has not lived up to, to expectations, including Wonder Woman 84, Cap M, Birds of Prey, and Mulan. Do you think this is all just coincidence, or do you think this might be revealing a bad trend? Uh, what can be done to make these female lead uh, movies have better success? Okay, first of all, I'm just going to tell you right now, my comic planet, anybody who uses the word chill to me is a moron. There are no film critics out there who are on any studio's payrolls. Okay, not Warner Brothers payroll, not Disney's payroll. Not it. there are no critics out there on payrolls. Okay, you you people who say that you are basically flat earthers. And if there's any of you watching who are flat earthers or are offended by that, good, uh, because you're an idiot. But um, to me, let me just throw this out there for a second. 
Because, you know, my entire career, I've been accused of being on Warner Brothers payroll. Oh, how can you like Suicide Squad? You're on Warner Brothers payroll. I've been accused of being on Disney's payroll. You like the, the uh, Force Awakens? You must be on Disney's payroll. Here, here's what people who use the word shill, what that exposes to me is that you are so weak-minded that the only, and, and so insecure about your own ideas and your own opinions, you're so insecure and so fragile that you can't handle the idea of other people liking things that you don't. And therefore, since you can't handle that, you construct this thing in your head as outrageously flat earth as it is to justify and make you feel better about yourself. Ergo, I don't like that movie and there's a critic who does. Therefore, they must be on somebody's payroll, right? So, I mean, I I would highly, highly recommend never use that term again because you make yourself sound stupid. And I've seen many questions from you in the past and you are clearly not stupid. So never, ever, ever do that. Because to me, all that is, whenever somebody uses the word shill in something, that's just them waving the flag. I'm an insecure, fragile little baby that can't handle the idea that there are people who don't share my opinion. And therefore, I have to construct an excuse as to legitimize why they think something differently from me. It's, it's weak. It's poor. It's awful. Um, I have not watched... Uh, I have not yet watched um, Black Widow yet. Now, I'm going to see it on Monday, about a week before it comes out. Monday is when I'm watching it. I was actually, let me see just exactly what it is. I had a friend of mine last night uh, write to me who has seen Black Widow. And let me see what it is. Um, Okay, this is what a friend of mine wrote to me last night. He said, I saw it last week uh, in a theater. It has, I was asking, I say, you've seen Black Widow, right? Like, what do you think? He wrote, I saw it last week in a theater. It has its moments, uh, but it's, it's passable for me. Florence Pugh is the best thing in it. I hope you like it. I'm curious to hear your take on it. So I'm hearing some positive reactions to it. I'm hearing some negative reactions to it. But it's also falling along the lines of whatever people's political persuasions are. Like the most people I'm seeing who don't like it generally whatever I'm seeing most people who do like it generally, but, and I'm seeing some mix. So I, I mean, I don't know now, as far as the female thing goes, dude, we could sit here and make a laundry list of all the terrible, crappy male led ones too. Right? Like fantastic four is garbage, but we don't go, Oh, why, why are male led superhero movies so bad? You know, Wolf, uh, uh, Wolverine, X-Men Origins Wolverine was terrible. Nobody goes, why are male-led superhero movies so bad? Uh, so I, t- to me, look, everybody looks for formula. Everybody looks for formula. People want formula. John, this movie has over three villains in it. Does that mean the movie's going to be bad? Having, there's no, it's not the formula that makes a movie good or bad. It's the individual execution of an individual film. Does it work or does it not work? The fact that it had more than three villains is not why the movie didn't work. The fact that it had less than three villains is not why it didn't. The fact that Daredevil had a male lead is not why it didn't work. The fact that it had a male lead is not why it did. 
you know, it's just each individual film has to be done right. And so you get with female lead superhero, uh, female superhero ones. And we've only had a couple in the new age. We've only had a couple. We had Wonder Woman, which was an outstanding success. We had Captain Marvel that made over a billion dollars at the box office. Um, so, I mean, great there. But we also had Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. That one is not good, in my opinion. But none of those worked because they were female-led, and none of them failed to work because they were female-led. Uh, so to me, that's that's a misnomer. And again, it's just a, a, a point that the audience were always looking for a formula. We want to boil it down and make it simple, that it's a formula that did it. You want to make a cinematic universe? Do it like Marvel did it. Solo film, solo film, solo film, team film. Solo film, solo film, solo film, team film. And that's the only way. That's the formula. Do it like that and the cinematic universe works. It had nothing to do with had nothing to do with the formula. Had everything to do with the individual films that they made were crowd pleasers and the audiences liked it and and that's all that mattered. It's all that mattered. When She-Hulk comes out it's not going to be about, well, it has Tatiana Mislani leading. It's a girl. Well, that'll mean it wor- it'll work because Wonder Woman worked. It won't mean it won't work because, you know, uh, what's its name? Uh, Fabulous Emancipation didn't work. No, it's going to be about do they have a great script and do they make a great story and do they make a great entertaining show? That's all it's going to be about. WandaVision worked because it was led by a girl. No, WandaVision worked and became the number one show in the world because it was great because they executed They made it enjoyable and engaging and people liked it and people got emotionally connected to it. And whether it had a male lead or a female lead is irrelevant. At least that's my take on it. At least that's my take on it. Anyway, so uh, that's me. Okay, anyway, next up. Uh, We go to uh, Glenn Wrights. Hey, John, all Sony social media platforms have been bombarded with comments asking for a Spider-Man 3 trailer. Do you think it has negatively impacted the marketing of their other films, such as Peter Rabbit 2, Escape Room 2? Uh, What can Sony do about it? No, that has no impact on it at all. I don't think it has any impact on it at all. Because I'll tell you right now, I don't think most people even know what studio is making Peter Rabbit 2. To be honest with you, I think 95% of the general movie-going public has no idea Sony is doing Peter Rabbit 2. So it's not affecting that at all. I really don't think it does at all. And just because people are bombarding... By the way, only like 2% of the movie-going audience are on Sony's social media channels. So that's irrelevant right there. So no, I really don't. I mean, look... I don't know even why they made another Peter Rabbit movie in the the first place. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't even know why they made another one. And the escape room one doesn't look all that good. Even if Spider-Man 3 didn't exist, I don't think either Peter Rabbit 2 or Escape Room 2 are getting any more buzz or pop than it. Honestly, I mean, I can't prove that, obviously. This is just me speculating. But... I really don't see any reason to believe that if Spider-Man 3 didn't even exist right now, that Peter Rabbit 2 and Escape Room 2 would be getting a lot more pop and buzz. I, I don't think that's the case. I really don't see the connection there. So anyway, that's that's just kind of my take on it, Glenn, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. It's an interesting question. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right, next up, we've got Dre B who writes, Hello, Anne's husband. 
Anne likes to refer to herself simply as the better Campia, and she may not be wrong. I doubt that there's a TVA for every planet, but so far we've only traveled to different times on Earth. Hmm, why is that? We, you know, we talked about this on a companion video yesterday. Um, I really think it's just because that's what the audience identifies with. I really do. I think it makes it cheap. I think it makes it easy, and it makes it something that the audience quickly identifies with. Like, if they show the TVA popping up on a gerbil planet... Where, oh, they all look like gerbils. A gerbil planet on the gerbil festival of the Anachronom. With the five red suns and the gerbil people walking around. I mean, on the one, first of all, that makes it incredibly more expensive to do. It makes it more complicated to do. And it's not something that the audience instantly looks at and identifies with. You have the TVA popping up on a Renaissance fair and immediately people look at it and laugh. Right. They're like, oh, my God, they're at a Renaissance fair. How cool. Right. I really do think it's that simple. I really do think it's that simple. Uh, it's the same reason that's come up a couple times. Why are all the TVA people look like humans? Well, why have almost every sci fi film made their characters either humans or very, very similar to humans like humanoid? Because it's easier. It's less expensive to do. And the audience connects with it and identifies with it more easily. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to see a movie of the planet of the gerbil people on the Grand High Festival, the Anaquinox. I would love to see it. Sign up and make that movie right now. Kevin Feige, go. That being said, it makes it more complicated to do, it makes it more expensive to do, and it doesn't connect with the audience as easily. Anyway, that's just kind of my take on that. I might be totally wrong on that. I may be totally wrong. Oh my gosh, I'm looking at Elijah. Uh, Reese Mack told it. You're right. The Kia Soul commercials. Remember the old Kia Soul commercials? That's that's totally the gerbil people. Hold on a second here. Uh, Kia Soul. Uh, let me see if I can find. Do you guys remember those? Oh my God, there it is. Hold on a second. Let me see. Yes, I think this. That's it, right? Oh, yeah, there they are. That's it. There it is. There's your Marvel MCU Planet of the Gerbil People at the High Festival of the Anachronomonopolis, whatever it is I said. There you go. It's all ready to go. The movie of the Gerbil People. It's coming. I'm telling you. It's the next big thing in the MCU. But anyway, all right. By the way, I like the Kia Soul. I, I came this close to getting a Kia Soul once. I really, it might have been because of those damn commercials. Anyway, uh, next up, Suthius writes, this may have been brought up, but on one of the TVA's paperwork, a uh, file on the variant, it says uh, Laufey's daughter, Sylvie. She is indeed a version of Loki, just with a different name. MCU has uh, meshed, uh, meshed characters together before. Example, Whiplash from, from uh, Iron Man 2. True. Look, we simply don't know. And by the way, don't take any Easter egg stuff on, on documents or whatever you see as ever meaning too much. Because I remember... I think it was X-Men, was it Days of Future Past? I think it was X-Men Days of Future Past. There's a scene where I think Peter Dinklage is on a computer and a bunch of files go by. And like, oh, there was a name of a particular popular X-Men character. That means that X-Men character's coming. But it didn't, right? They didn't come. So it could mean something. It may not mean something. The TVA may be very wrong about what this variant is. It may not even be a variant. This Enchantress, Loki, Lady Loki, Cinderella, whatever it is she ends up being, um, it could be something very familiar or not. Again, I think, Suthia, so we're going to get a lot of information tonight. 
I actually think tonight we're going to get a lot of information and we'll get some more, uh, more relatively definitive answers moving forward. At least I think, at least I think we will, we will find out pretty soon. Okay. Uh, let's move on here. Next up. We've got Raymond Reddington who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Rob's not here today. Planning to see Fast 9 and 4DX uh, a week on Friday. I cannot wait. Just wondered if you are a fan of this format. I love this format. It makes you feel like you're right in the action. Listen, that 4DX, that's the Cinemark. I believe that's the Cinemark format, right? Never been. I've never been. Um, First, we don't have Cinemarks in Canada. And where I live, I don't honestly know where the closest Cinemark is. I, I just really don't. You know, it's funny because like the senior vice president of Cinemark just added me on LinkedIn the other day where and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. When I saw that, like the senior vice president of Cinemark theaters uh, added me on LinkedIn. I'm like, am I going to, is this going to be the next AMC thing for me? Am I about to go and, and run something for Cinemark? I mean, I don't know. My th- thought was, was just going in a weird direction, but honestly, I've never been to a Cinemark theater let alone into one of their 40X things. I haven't really had the opportunity. I have heard from people that it's a really good, um, that it's a really good format. I have just never experienced it. So I don't know. It's a good question. You tell me. Uh, When you go in and see Fast, and it seems like, even though I don't think Fast 9 is a very good movie, it seems like Fast 9 is the right kind of movie to watch in something like that. So by all means, Raymond, you tell me. Uh, if it was good, you tell me if it was good, I'd be dying to know. All right. Thanks for that, man. Next up. Remember rewind rights, uh, Christ, uh, Christine remake, uh, where are they going to get more 58 cries? Or well, obviously I think it'll be a different model. Uh, make the bodies from scratch. They aren't cheap and they use 22 to 24 cars in the original. I think CGI would look bad compared to the original effect. Depends. It depends. I listen, especially with something like cars. If you do it right, they could make this movie with 30% CGI and you would never know. You would simply never know. There have been a lot of times I've shown somebody, some people like feature stuff and they'll go, wait a minute, that wasn't real? That was CGI. Yep, that part was CGI. The reality is, I, my guess is, and this is just a guess, again, no insider information here. My guess is they're going to use a more modern car. As they should. Because when the original um, Christine came out, it was using a car that was only so many years away from when the movie came out. So if you're going to do a remake, you probably do the same thing. Make sure it's the same distance away from the year as when Christine came out. So my guess is they're going to use a different model car. And I think that's appropriate. I think it's what they should do because that's what they did in the original. They used a car that was X number of years older than when the movie came out. And if they're going to be consistent, they should do the same thing now. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they do. It's an interesting question. I'm very curious to see what just what direction they go with this at all in the first place. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Next up, we got Casey McNatt writes. Hey, John, I just recently watched Luca and overall, I really did enjoy the movie, even though it wasn't Pixar's best. I would put it in second tier when it comes to Pixar movies, but I thought it was visually stunning and the end did get me in in. The end did get me in the end as well. Um, I actually thought the ending was problematic. And I it's it's hard for me to say that, Casey, with 
without going into spoilers and expressing why I found the ending problematic. Because I, I can't express why I found the ending problematic without giving away spoilers. So I want to be really, really careful here. But you guys all know from the trailers, the basic idea of Luca is you got these underwater creatures who, when they come onto land, they just look human. And they're trying to stay hidden from the humans, right? And so the ending happens is like, this makes no sense to me. A anyway, that's just me. Again, I'm sounding like I didn't like Luca. I did like Luca. I enjoyed the movie. My wife quite enjoyed it and, and actually quite enjoyed it a lot. Um, so for me, in a, in a either thumbs up or thumbs down world, I'm a thumbs up for Luca. I, I like it. I just, yeah, second tier bottom i'll say bottom of the second tier so not in the worst tier but near the bottom of the second tier that's where i'd put it myself but i'm glad you liked it uh, more than i did all right next up we've got darren love who writes hey john big fan of yours for many years now thank you so much i appreciate that uh just so you know my question is about nicholas cage films I recently saw the trailer for Pig, and I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it. Is Nick Cage um, in a space that other actors flounder in uh, direct-to-video? Well, see, here's the thing. A lot of these direct—the reality is Nick Cage is still a big name. Everybody knows Nick Cage. Nick Cage is an Academy Award winner. And most importantly, Nick Cage is willing to do these kinds of movies. And when you're a little indie, indie filmmaker and you can actually get an Oscar winner in your film, you go for it. You do that because Matthew McConaughey isn't doing those movies. All right. Uh, Christoph Waltz is not doing those movies. When you got so Nick Cage is a very uniquely positioned guy right now. He's not getting the A-list work, but he is an Oscar winner. He's a very famous name, and he's totally willing, because from what we understand, he still needs the money. He's totally willing to do these little D to V movies. And so if you're an indie filmmaker and you have the choice between some unknown but good actor kid or Nick Cage in your movie, who are you putting in this little indie film of yours? You're putting in Nick Cage. What was that little movie they just had? Do you guys in the live chat remember the one that's totally a Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff? Which movie was that? I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a totally, totally, totally a Five Nights at Freddy's ripoff. Uh, if you guys remember the name of that, please uh, type it into the chat there and let me know what it is uh, and let me know what the uh, what the name of that was. Uh, Willie's Wonderland. Thank you. I think the first person to put it in there was Yellow Flash. Thank you, Yellow Flash. Ben also put it in. Random Tire put it in. Josh put it in. Uh, Scott F. put it in. Thank you for that, guys. Let's put it this way. Would any of us have even known that that Willie's Wonderland movie even existed if Nick Cage wasn't in the trailer for it? Probably not. So it's kind of a dream scenario. If you can be a little indie filmmaker and you got a low budget and you put somebody in it and you got an Oscar winner that is very famous that's willing to be in it, you go with that. So I, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing that he's appearing in a lot of these kinds of movies, but I don't care what anybody says. I love Nick Cage. I still love Nicolas Cage. By the way, go watch Moonlight. If you haven't watched Moonlight that he did with Cher many years ago, go and watch Moonlight. All right, next up. Uh, we've got James Argenta who writes, 
with Cad Bane appearing for the first time since 2012 in The Bad Batch. I don't watch The Bad Batch, just so you know. Uh, do you think he could show up in The Book of Boba Fett? I give it a 30% chance since there was supposed to be a Cad Bane slash Boba story in Clone Wars that got scrapped when Lucasfilm was sold. Um, again, I, I watched the first three episodes of Bad Batch. I liked the first episode, which surprised me. I, I actually quite liked the first episode. Then the second and third episode, it just okay. Eh, this isn't that good, so I, I I I I tapped out, tapped out on Bad Batch, so I don't watch it. Um, there had been a lot of talk about Cad Bane, and that hat, that iconic hat. Anyway, I'm gonna go under thirty, but thirty's a good over under number, James, for that. I think that's the right over under number is thirty percent. Because if you said 40, I'd say easily it's under. If you said like 18%, I'd say probably easily over that. But 30%, that's a good number. So I will take the slightly under 30% on that. I will take the slightly under 30% on that. But we'll see. It's a good question though, James. Let's keep our eyes open on that. All right, next up. Uh, Peter Star or Paul Starguy watched. One or two. I watched a great show on Discovery Channel called Expedition Back to the Future. Uh, in it, host Josh Gates, Expedition Unknown and Expedition X, Josh Gates Tonight, all very interesting shows, and Christopher Lloyd tracked down the seven cars uh, used in the Back to the Future movies. That's fun. With the idea of presenting one to Michael J. Fox, he can auction off for his Parkinson's Foundation. They end up building, with expert help, an eighth one, which is remote control, and present it. That's great. Okay, first, okay, two different things. Number one, that sounds really cool. That sounds great that they did that. I love that. I love that they did that. But number two, Paul, I, Ann and I were just talking about this this week. I am seriously considering getting Discovery Plus. They've got a lot of really good stuff on Discovery, actually. Now, it depends on what you're into, but for some unexplicable reason, I love Food Network shows and I love the HGTV home renovate, even long before Ann and I owned a house. I don't know why. I love the Property Brothers. I love Fixer Upper. I love Love It or List It. I don't know why. I just do. I can put it on and I can watch it. And they, they do. And then the Food Network. I watch Diners, Drives, and Dives. So sue me. I like these shows. But Discovery actually has a lot of stuff, and they have a lot of very very cool stuff. And even though I've swore to myself I wasn't going to get another streaming network, I am actually considering getting D- Discovery Plus. It's only like five bucks a month. I mean, it's still, it's adding up. Oh my God. I spend way more now on streaming channels than I ever did on cable. Still, I'm actually thinking, Yellow Flash, Beat Bobby Flay. I like Beat Bobby Flay. By the way, uh, I was just, I just did a little quick tour of his new restaurant that he's opening in Caesar's Palace. I think it's called Amalfi. Bobby Flay is opening a brand new restaurant in Caesar's Palace called Amalfi, and I got to go. They haven't. I got to go behind the scenes and tour it a little bit with it being closed. Uh, very cool stuff. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so Bobby Flay is another one. Iron Chef. I love Iron Chef. I don't care. All right, last one of the day, guys, and then we got to wrap it up. An anonymous viewer writes, "Hey, John, I'm loving Loki more than any other MCU show. That cameo of Catherine Hahn um, as Agatha in the last episode was very funny. Of course." Uh, she misses the old times. I don't know what we're talking about. Are you talking about at the Renaissance Fair? 
time out. Are you talking about the girl who said, guys, some of us need this? That wasn't Catherine. Am I, did I completely miss that? Was the girl who said, guys, some of us need this. You're not in costumes. Was that? I didn't think that was Catherine Hahn. No, I don't think that was Catherine Hahn. Yeah, yeah. Casey McNally saying that wasn't Agatha. Uh, I mean, yeah, it looked a little bit like Catherine Hahn. I can see it. I can see how it looked a little bit like Catherine Hahn. I love, by the way, that line in Loki by everybody in the live chat is saying, no, no, it not, it's not her. It's not her. It's not her. Um, it did look a little bit like her. Sure. But I'm t- I love that line. Like, I think most people miss the line, but after the TVA agents show up and then they, and she's like, Hey guys, you're not dressed right. Whatever they leave. Then it cuts back to her. And she has this one little line. Some of us need this. I died. Of all the great stuff in Loki episode two, to me, that was the funniest line in Loki episode two. I died when she said that some of us need this. I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. But yeah, I do not think that was that wasn't Agatha. That that wasn't Catherine Hahn. But it would have been pretty cool if it was. But I'm 100% sure that it was not. Anyway, and everybody in the live chat seems to agree. Okay, guys, that'll do it. For this installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for joining us here. And guys, there are still more questions to come. We got one from Anonymous, Stephen P., uh, Wes, and others. Uh, In about an hour and a half, actually, I've got Kimberly Kern coming over, and we're going to do a companion video. That'll go up later tonight. But guys, do not forget, today, four hours from now, at 4 p.m., we are doing its... Of course, because it's game day, we're doing our Loki pregame show at 4 p.m., All of our speculations, predictions, expectations of what we're going to see tonight, or for some of you guys tomorrow morning, depending on where you live, what we're going to get in Loki Episode 3. Come on by and join us, and let's have a little bit of a discussion. But for now, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in these live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it, and all of us involved here at the John Campion Show Thank you guys very, very much for that support. Okay, guys, don't forget to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.